listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth Jr. Glad you're on today. Uh, We are going to talk about something today that I'm very, very excited about um, because nobody talks about it, but it is so vitally important that it blows my mind that it's never truly addressed. So we're going to deal with it. There's my mother-in-law, Suzanne, Ed and Colleen. Rohan's in the house. Good to see you, buddy. Lynn Ann's in California. Uh, That's nice of you, Nick. (laughs) Mary Grace, uh, is it Granadil? Is that how you pronounce that? Granadil? Watching from the Philippines. God bless you. Thanks for hanging with us in the Philippines. Uh, Jake's on today. Didn't see Jake's name pop up till just now. Jake is in the midst of a, a of a chess match with me at this very moment. Love you, buddy. Uh, there's Kim Howard. Glad you're on today. Let me also say before we go any further, um, that today, which this never used to be a thing. Hey, Sister Sherry, this never used to be a thing. It is now apparently because of the internet age. We used to only have Black Friday, but now. We have Cyber Monday, and that's what today is, apparently. We have Cyber Monday, and uh, because we just cave to the times, um, we have Cyber Monday deals for you today. I want to tell you that we have extended this, which we've never done this before. We've extended it through midnight tonight for you guys. If anybody wanted to get involved in Miracle Word University, now is the time to get involved. We're giving you all five of the courses on a Cyber Monday sale for $199. That was, I think all five together are like $345. And so you get 42% uh, percent off today until midnight. That's it. Uh, that's almost 40 hours of teaching, including our brand new course, uh, Divine Prosperity. It's in there as well. Uh, you want to take advantage of that. That is like the best it's going to be. Gonna, gonna be. Aram, throwing out compliments for free on Facebook. Brown is my color. Thank you, Aram. Love you, buddy. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Love your whole family. Uh, Skeeter's in the house. Thanks for sharing it. Somebody follow Judy's lead. Take a minute to share the broadcast. Sister Susie Nemeth, good to have you on. Um, so don't miss that. Cyber Monday is today. And uh, I'm going to start calling it Cyborg Monday. What's up, Letty? I'm glad Letty's in the house today. Good to see you, Letty. Love you. Um, yeah, it is cold. This is not a jacket. It's actually a shirt. It just looks like a jacket. What's up, Ben Full? Love you, buddy. Um so go check it out, MiracleWordTheLetterU.com on Cyborg Monday. On Cyborg Monday. Listen, if you purchase the, the Miracle Word U bundle, it actually helps us to prepare uh, to fight back against the cyborgs when they attack on Cyborg Monday. And so every purchase, let's, let me say it this way as well, every purchase of the school, a portion of it is going to feed a cyborg. On another planet. And so get involved on Cyborg Monday. It's going to be great. Um, <laughs> let me also say that uh, me and the fam are flying back home today. We'll be back in the 
Miracle Word Studios t- starting tomorrow live back in Florida. And uh, we've got some great things planned for December coming up. Very much looking forward to uh, a new month as we're getting ready to cross over. Um, but it's going to be, we're going to finish with the strongest month of the year that we've had. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to December. It's going to be awesome. Uh, we're finishing up the book for you guys on fasting and prayer before the fast starts in January. And uh, we want to get it into your hands. It's going to be everything you need to know about biblical fasting. We're covering everything about it um, from the Bible. And it's going to be available on ebook as well as paperback for you guys to get a hold of before we start that uh, January fast. And you're going to want to get a hold of that. It's going to bless you. Uh, let's jump into to this. Uh, I want you to go with me to Romans chapter 12, and you saw uh, what I put in the title, which was adjust your blind spot uh, or fail. And people are like, what in the world does that mean? Well, I want to show you this because I've been thinking a lot about this over the last year, I think. This subject has kept you know, like bouncing around in my mind. I just keep thinking about... Um, different aspects of this. And I'm surprised now that I've come to the realization of how important it is that nobody really talks about it. And so I want to talk about it today and I'm sure I'll be doing more on it. In in fact, uh, I'm sure it'll come into a book somewhere, but Mike said, cyborgs are real. Had to eject one yesterday at DCC service. A cyborg came into my uncle's church apparently and they kicked it out. All you gotta do is unplug it from the wall. And so, I want to deal with this. Think, think about this question quickly. Because this is what I've been meditating on. I want you to think about it. I would say everybody, I mean, at least 98% of people, think that they are pretty self-aware. You know, I, I'm, I would guess, I mean, if you agree with that, Uh, Throw a hand up in the comments if you agree. If you don't, put a thumbs down in the comments because I'd like to see where you guys are at on this. Um, I feel like that most people think they're pretty self-aware, that they're pretty introspective. If you agree with that, hand up. If you don't agree, thumbs down. Um, I would guess like, you know, over 90% of people in society, uh, if you ask them, you, they would say, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm, pr- I'm a pretty self-aware person. I feel that way. I feel like they think they are. Um, pe- so there's people agreeing with me in the comments section. Uh, Mike and Ed, Colleen, Elizabeth, Jackie, Rose. Um, nobody disagrees with that. Pastor, Pastor Stephen does. Rohan, they all agree. I really do. I think if you ask the average person that they would say, yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm an introspective person. I'm pretty self-aware. Uh, but even though the average person thinks they are, I actually, uh, I don't think they are. I don't think the average person is very introspective at all. And we're going to talk about that because, um, it does matter greatly. Like it matters greatly, but, and I'm going to tell you why, but yeah, Jessica said even more like 95% of people think they are. But I'm going to tell you why that's important because people think, they think that they're self-aware. They think that they are introspective 
And in real, in, in reality, they're not. They're blind spots everywhere. Have you ever, like, for example, let me ask you this. Have you ever uh, looked at something that someone's doing or the way people are doing something in their life? or I don't, It could be anything. I'm not trying to pick on any one thing. You know, how they raise their kids or what they post online or things they say, how they how they act or whatever. And have you ever just thought to yourself, like, what in the world is that person doing? Like, have you, have you ever thought like that? Like, you see something and you're like, what in the world are they doing? Why would they do that? You know? And you start to think, like, what is up? You know, what is up with them? Why would they Why would they say that? Why would they talk like that? Why would they post that? Why would they do that with their children? Why would they allow that in their relationship or their house or whatever? That happens a lot where people are like, you know, you, you, you look from the outside looking in. And when you're looking from the outside looking in, it's like, what in the world is going on there? Like, have you guys ever had that? If you have, let me know in the comments, because like, am I, am I the only one or, or have you, you've dealt with this? People say all the time, true story. So true. So true. So you understand what I'm saying? It's like, you look, look at, you like, look at people like, what is going on there? Why would they say that? Why would they do that? You know, whatever. And, and I'm not saying it like, you know, I know that's the, that's what happens. Billion said, they say, don't judge. And I'm not, I'm not saying it to be judgmental. It's just like you recognize it. Like you see it and you're like, what in the world? Even if you don't even care and you go on about your business, you've had that recognition where you're like, what in the world are they doing? Why would they do that? Why would they post that? Why would they live like that? Why would they spend their money like that? Why would they, you know, whatever it might be. And then you, you are on the outside looking in at their life or whatever. And you, you're like, man, how can they not see that that's such a bad decision? Like, how can they not see that, you know, whatever. And then from their perspective, they're like, no, I got everything together. Like, you know, I'm, you know, it's, everything's going good. I'm, I, I can see all my, you know, and it's not true. And, um, it's an important thing because, um, the reason I'm covering this today is because if you want to see victory constantly in your life, and and I'm going to deal with this from the scripture. If you want to see constant victory, constant increase, if you want to see things continue to go the way God wants them to go, you do have to be a person who is introspective and is truly self-aware, not just think you are, you have to really be self-aware. You have to really be introspective. Um, I find it interesting that in the Bible, from the New Testament, when you're reading through the New Testament, I find it very interesting that the way that the apostles write, um, (laughs) Tiffany said, I'm extremely self-aware about my self-awareness, which is a great way to say it. Uh, but I find it interesting that the way that the apostles write letters back to the churches, the way that they write forces the readers or the members of the church to become introspective because one of the things the Holy Spirit will lead, led the apostles to do in their writing was to point out things or to point out inconsistencies in the lives of the believers or the churches. And so what would they do? They would write back to them and they would start to point things out. And if they didn't, uh, if they weren't, if the churches weren't like hearing the principles, right? Like, okay, well, this is a principle. I don't want to like get in, you know, I don't want to get on any one individual. If they would deal with a principle 
and uh, you know that principle wasn't being followed or carried out. It's interesting to me that the apostles would then uh, start calling people out individually. You know, which would be you know people do that today and people freak out. You know, but the the apostles did it by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so, like you'd have issues like within like the Corinthian church, for example, where I'm sure. Whoever was pastoring the Corinthian people, they were young uh, in the faith. They were immature, all the stuff. And Paul wrote multiple letters to them. In fact, we know from history, I believe, that Paul actually wrote, some of you may not know this, I'm going to give you like a Bible uh, piece of trivia, but uh, scholars agree and we know from his writings, Paul actually wrote like four letters to the Corinthian church. We only have two uh, that survived that the Holy Spirit inspired. Um, but the, but he, he did write them another two times. Uh, so four letters to the Corinthians and we only have first and second Corinthians, but they're not in that order by the way. But in those letters, he starts calling them out on stuff and starts. It's like, if you can't hear the actual principle of the teaching, let me start calling some stuff out uh, in the letters. You know, it's like, He's like, well, here's a guy in your church, by the way, who is having sexual relations with his stepmother, and uh, you can't do that as a Christian. And so it's like, uh, yeah, let him know you can't do that. And if he doesn't listen to you, and as Paul said, uh, throw him out and turn him over to Satan for the destruction of his soul. What What's the deal? If you don't hear the principles, then the apostles would start calling things out individually, or they'd call people's names out. You know, Paul started calling out people's names in some of his letters. You know, I want to talk about, you know, Alexander the coppersmith or whatever that he did me much harm. You know, he starts calling people out by name. But what's the point? He is and the Holy Spirit who led these writers wanted the church to be self-aware, wanted the church to be introspective, to, to always be able to turn the vision into on themselves and to inspect themselves, right? And so uh, I want us to read in Romans chapter 12, uh, and I'm going to read the, the first, let's say the first three verses. Actually, I'm going to read four, the first four verses. So this, by the way, for those of you putting in the comments, this is Romans 12, one through four. Romans 12, one through four. Listen to this. Uh, Paul said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Um, no, it, it should be you, Andrew. Andrew's asking the question on YouTube. So is it me that finds my blind spot or someone else? Other people probably can already see it, but the key for us, and that's why I'm doing this broadcast, is so that we can truly, uh, and I'm gonna explain to you how, we can truly be introspective and see those areas uh, that need to change. And I'm gonna deal with that as well. Verse two, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Verse three, listen to this. 
For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. You see that? But to think with sober judgment. This is huge. Think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. I'll go with verse four as well. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, verse five as well, so we though many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. And so that was Romans 12, one through five. And now let me break this down, especially verse three. Because listen, uh, listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling the church in Rome. And this is huge. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment. So let's just cut that out and just deal with that on the broadcast. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think but think with sober judgment, okay? So let's break this down. What causes people to fail? What is like one of the number one uh, roadblocks to having constant victory and success and increase? It's pride, pride. In fact, if you want to put it in the comments, put, put it this way, pride is an increase killer. Pride is an increase killer. Write that in the comments, if you will. Pride is an increase killer. And it is. That's why it's so dangerous to allow yourself to do what he's telling you not to do. Think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Pride is a killer. Let me read to you Proverbs 16, 18. Proverbs 16, 18. The Bible says pride is goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Well, obviously you can't be in the midst of increase and falling at the same time. Amen. You can't be building and going to the next level if you're in the midst of destruction. And so the Bible tells us pride is a prerequisite for destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. It's actually the thing that, that, destroyed Satan and destroyed at the time when he was Lucifer and pride filled him. And he began to uh, think to himself that he would take God's place in heaven. I will ascend into the heavens. I will be like the most high. I'll be seated on the throne. And God said, no, you won't. And it actually caused him to be ejected, not just from his ministry position as an angel, but ejected from the presence of God forever. One thing, pride. So one of the areas that keeps us from truly being introspective, and, and I want you to catch this today because this is one of the most important broadcasts I've ever done, and I mean that. I'm not saying that just because I want you to think this. I, I mean it. I wouldn't do that to you. And this is one of the most important broadcasts I've ever done because you know, we call ourselves the victory tribe. We're believing for victory. We're believing for increase. We want 2021 to be the greatest year we've ever had, but it's going to come through this principle that I'm teaching you today. It absolutely will. That 
pride is a is something that'll destroy you. A haughty spirit will cause you to fall. So one of the reasons that people are not able to be introspective or self-aware, as the Bible says we should be, is because they think more highly of themselves than they ought to think. They actually are very prideful. They're, they're very haughty. I'm not saying everybody that's not introspective is this. I'm saying this is one of the reasons. Because what happens is if you stop being self-aware or introspective about your life, uh, one of the reasons you would stop doing that is because you think everything's perfect with you. Well, I don't need to be introspective. I don't need to be self-aware. I've got it all together. I don't have any issues. I don't have any problems. I don't, there's nothing wrong in my life. I'm fine. It's those people that have a problem. You know, that's how people get. And I'm sure you've seen people get that way. It's not my problem. They have a problem. You know, they, they have a problem. It's not me. You ever met those people before that like they're always in drama with everybody and then they always blame the other people. Have you ever, have you ever met people like that? I was like, yeah, well, he's got a problem. You know, he's, you know, he, he, he's giving me problems. And then you talk to him again, two weeks later. Yeah. You hear what happened between me and this person? They got an issue. They got a problem. And none of these other people have problems with each other. They all just have problems with you. It might be a sign to you that it's not all of those people's problem because they're getting along in life fine with everybody else. They have a problem with you. You know why? You have a problem. <laughs> it's not them. It's you. But that's another thing. I've seen that happen, and people don't think it's them. They're like, yeah, all the, you know what? All these people. And then they'll start spiritualizing it, which makes it even worse. Because other people are like, yeah, you know, it's it's the it really is the devil attacking me. You know, all these people having drama with me and issues with me. It's really just an attack of the devil, and I'd like you to pray with. It's not an attack of the devil. You're just a jerk, probably. It's like, that's probably what's up is that it's not an attack of the devil. It's not that everybody in your church can't, uh, has a problem with you. It's that you have a problem and people don't like it. People can't stand being around you. <laughs> that's the problem. But that's the thing. They put themselves into victim mode. Like, like everybody's against them. No, it's not that everybody's against you. It's that you refuse to turn the lens in on yourself and say, what are some things that I'm doing that are causing people to be annoyed, causing people to be bent out of shape? Why are people avoiding me? Why don't people want to be around me? What is the issue? Turn the lens in and start becoming introspective. It's, it's not an attack of the devil. It's not people coming to get. It's the fact that you're blind to some things in your life that are repelling people. You're blind to some areas that need to change. They need to change. Pride is an increased killer. A haughty spirit will bring you into destruction and a fall. And so, yeah, it's true. Mackenzie said it's crazy that you can be a prideful victim. It's so true. It's so true. And then, you know, and people always point outwards. Well, it's his issue. It's her issue. It's his problem. It's pr and none of those people have problems with each other. They all just have a problem with you. It might be the case that you may want to inspect yourself. <laughs> or as the old psalmist said, chickety check yourself before you wreck yourself. And David said that. 
Nick, search my heart, oh God. But understand this now. We're dealing with what Paul said to the Romans here. He said, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment. And so uh, I've dealt with this on on the broadcast before. It is dangerous. If you've ever seen people that are successful, especially successful in the body of Christ, that like fell into destruction or they stopped, they stopped increasing, stopped growing. And maybe they just, you know, the palmist said that Jessica, um, they put yes people around them. And that is so dangerous. Do you know what I mean by that phrase? They, put, they just surround themselves with yes men that no matter what they do, people around be like, yeah, that was awesome. Oh, you're awesome. That was great. Oh, you did. Man, you're so great at this. Oh, that's so good. And anything they do, the people they've surrounded themselves with tell them it's great. It's the best thing you've ever done. And you know what the problem is? They'll never call you on anything. If you make, if you do something dumb, if you do something wrong, if you do it, they'll never, those types of people will never be like, Hey, you need to take a step back and look at what you're doing. Cause that's not right. They'll never do that. They'll never do that. They're yes men. They're yes women. And it's a danger. And I've seen people fall out of success and into destruction because all the, all they are, are is surrounding themselves with yes men that'll never tell them when they're, when they're doing, making a wrong decision, doing They've gotten off track, whatever it might be. And so catch this, and I've dealt with this. I've said this on the broadcast before. Anytime that I even produce any content, you know, this is a form of it. Anytime that I produce any content whatsoever, could be my broadcast like I'm doing today, could be like the new course that I just put out, Divine Prosperity Courses in Miracle Word University, could be the books that I'm writing, uh, could be articles, blog posts I may write, something I may be mailing out to you at your house, something I'm emailing you. I will ask people, and I want to keep people around me that will call me on stuff that's not good or stuff that's off. So I will, I will present those things before they're fully produced. I'll present those things to the people that I keep around me and say, what do you think of this? And then I ask this question very pointedly because I don't want people to just praise my work. That's the last thing I want. That's the last thing I want. I, see, because here, here's why. If all I ever have is people praising my work, I will never, ever get better than I am right now. Think about that. If all I have, if all you have is people that just praise every decision you ever make, You'll never be any better than you are at this very minute. And that's not God's plan. God's plan for you is never ending increase, but you can't increase. You can't get better. You can't build to the next level. If you don't know what it takes to get there, if you don't know what it takes to go higher or be more uh, impactful, to be more effective, to be more efficient, and so I ask, I ask it this way. I say, uh, I'll present the content that I've produced. And then I'll say, what do you hate about this? Like, I purposely ask that. I purposely ask that. What do you hate about this 
chapter, about this design piece, about this whatever. And I'll be honest with you, I may not want to hear it because I may be expecting that when I turn this over and say, hey, what do you hate about this? Somebody to come back and be, oh no, that's awesome. That's that's so that's so good. It's perfect. It's good to go. Like I may be expecting that, but then it may come back to me like, yeah, I don't I think it looks horrible. I don't like the colors. I don't like the font. I don't like, I don't like the way you worded this paragraph. I don't like, and you have to be ready to hear that. Well, if it's going to be better, then you have to be able to look and see what is not good. And that's not just what you produce, it's also in your life. Think about it. And you know, when I've dealt with, oh, it'll keep you humble, Tyra. There's no question it'll keep you humble. Because you're you're presenting yourself for criticism. You have to be able to present yourself for criticism. Now, listen to it this way, because here's where you got to be careful. You don't present yourself to everybody for criticism. You present yourself to people who love you for criticism. That's a huge point. And I want you to catch this because here's how people actually uh, have their emotions and their mental state destroyed is that they just accept everybody's criticism. Now think about it. It's very dangerous to accept everybody's criticism. If I did that, I wouldn't even be in the ministry today if I accepted everybody's criticism. You know, because there's lots of people, number one, that aren't saved. Number two, uh, that have religious spirits. There's other people that literally do not believe uh, the way we believe as Christians that call themselves Christians. I've had people call me, you know, a heretic, a false prophet, I'm dangerous. I shouldn't be ministering to people because I'm leading them into deception and they'll end up going to hell because of my teaching. You know, so if I accepted everybody's criticism, I wouldn't even be in the ministry. I'd, I'd just quit and be like, man, maybe they're right. Maybe I am a false prophet. Maybe, I, you know, but no, you don't accept everybody's criticism. Mackenzie said, when the wrong people criticize you, it hurts. Because now, now get this, there is a difference between constructive criticism and destructive criticism. Constructive criticism and destructive criticism. You better be able to discern the difference between those two things. I'll give you an example of what both look like. Um, let's say I'm writing a book, which I am, and let's say I present a chapter of that book or something to someone to look, just give me feedback. One person could say to me, you know, all the things you were teaching uh, in that chapter are really good, but I found, I found it hard to follow along because it was just so much teaching. Maybe throw some stories in there or throw some examples or throw some illustrations in there. And I think it would make your chapter a lot more understandable, a lot more readable. Uh, people would enjoy it more if you did that. That's constructive criticism. Destructive criticism would be, yeah, I read your chapter and be honest with you, it bored me out of my mind. I thought it sucked. I don't, I don't even know if you should write this book. I don't even, be honest with you, I don't even know if you're qualified to be writing the way I felt after reading that chapter. Well, that doesn't give me anything to work on. It's not done out of love. And it's actually, uh, it's actually destructive to me in what I'm trying to accomplish. 
So you have to be able to, you know, it's one thing to say, you know, you didn't really word those paragraphs correctly. It's another thing to say, you're an idiot. <laughs> you're a moron. I don't think you, you can write at all. Very different. You might, both people might be saying those things about the same thing. You read it and said, you didn't word those right. You didn't put that together right. You're a moron. You're an idiot. You probably shouldn't be writing. The other person says, hey, you know, your grammar, your syntax was a little off in those paragraphs, made it hard to read. If you would correct that, we would catch on immediately. There's a difference. <laughs> and you do have to be able to discern the difference between constructive and destructive criticism or else you'll be destroyed. And then let me, let me say it this way as well. And I've said this before. My cousin's making me laugh. Is this why you don't respond to my texts anymore? Um, write, write this in the comments. And I've had you write it before. I'm going to say it again. It applies so strongly to right now. Put it in the comments. Um, never take constructive criticism from someone who has never constructed anything. <laughs> write that in the comments. That's a word to live by. Never take constructive criticism from someone who's never constructed anything. Very, very important. <laughs> if we would just get that one uh, principle in our spirits, you'd never be discouraged by things people said about you. Never take constructive criticism from someone who's never constructed anything. I'll use Mackenzie as an example. She's watching from New York. Mackenzie's a worship leader. She's also a songwriter. And so if somebody came up to Mackenzie and heard her writing a song that she was writing and said, you know, that song really sucks. I don't think that's not the way to write a song. Well, consider the source. Is that person a musician? Is that person a singer? Has that person ever even written a song? before because if not who gives a crap what you think about it to be honest with you you see what i mean um same thing if i was you know writing a book if somebody came up to me and said you know i don't i don't uh, i don't think that's the way to put a book together oh have you put a lot of books together how many books have you written how many books have you written? Well, none. I just don't think that's... What, well, then I don't need to hear what you have to say because I don't take constructive criticism from people who haven't constructed anything. I don't take constructive criticism from people who haven't constructed anything. Let me ask you, if I decide I'm going to build a house from, from, from ground up, would I go start getting mentorship and advice from people that have never built anything? No. Never going to do that. I'm never going to do that. I'm going to talk to people that have built in the past. How do you build? How do you dig for a foundation? How do you pour a foundation? How do you frame a house? Could you give me some, could you give me some tips on framing or could you give me some tips on framing a house? I know you've framed a lot of houses. Uh, have you seen anything that like when you first started out that you learned later about framing a house that really like, man, I wish I'd have known this when I started framing. Why am I talking to them about that? Because they've framed a bunch of houses before and they've done many times what I'm doing for the first time. <laughs> you see what I mean? That is extremely helpful. Now, let's move to this point here because 
I understand we start with pride. One of the main reasons people will not be self-aware, introspective pride, they won't turn the lens on themselves because they don't think it needs to be turned on themselves. Mackenzie asks in the comments, do you think it's wrong to ask uh, advice of people who have never constructed anything about the finished product? No, I don't think it's wrong about that, but I do think you need to temp temper your expectation uh, about what they say or what types of criticism you're taking from them. See what I mean? So she's giving the example on the comments. Let's say you, you're serving a meal to somebody that doesn't cook. They're not a chef, but they, they're still going to know if they like the food or not. Of course they will. Yes, they will. But what I wouldn't, it's one thing to say, I don't think that tastes good or I don't enjoy that, that dish. Or I don't like enjoy that, that the taste of that meal. It would be a whole nother thing if they came into your kitchen and was like, you know, I don't think that you are actually uh, sauteing those potatoes correctly. It's like, you've never sauteed potatoes in your life. So I don't need to hear uh, sauteing techniques from somebody that's never sauteed potatoes before. It's one thing to say whether or not someone liked something that you did. It's another thing for them to give you examples of how you should be doing the production of what you're putting out. That, that's a whole nother thing. So, so for example, like going back to the example of writing songs, right? Uh, somebody could come to you as a matter of opinion, Mackenzie, and say, I almost did say it like that, Crystal, didn't I? Like from Lord of the Rings, potatoes, like I was Samwise Gamgee. Um, it's another thing if somebody comes to Mackenzie and says, you know, I, I really don't like the melody of that song you wrote. It's not catchy. I don't feel like it's a catchy melody. I've said that about people's songs, you know, like that I hear on the radio, like that song doesn't catch me. I, I, you know, it's just not a catchy song. But if they then start to come in and say, you need to change your songwriting techniques. Well, they don't know anything about songwriting techniques. They've never written a song. They don't know how to write a song. They might know whether or not they like the end product. There's people that don't like my books. There's people that don't like the way that I write probably, but <clears throat> They may not, and that's a matter of their opinion, but I would never go listen to their construct their, their criticism about how to write books if they've never written any. You see what I mean? So it's more about, it's more about how you produce the things you're producing, not about the finished product, because anybody has an opinion and anybody's entitled to their opinion. I don't like the food you made. I don't like the song you wrote. I don't appreciate the book you wrote. That's one thing. That's an opinion. They can feel that way if they want to, but then talking to you about how you produce the content you produced, it's a whole nother thing because they've never done that kind of production before. So they're not qualified to speak about it. So I, I'm very careful who I allow <clears throat> to speak into my life about things that I'm doing. I look at their life and say, okay, uh, how, you know, what have they done in this area? That's far greater than what I've done in this area. And if they haven't, then I don't take the criticism. I don't. I just smile and nod and say, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, but moving past that, think about this. Not only never take constructive criticism from someone who's never constructed anything, here's another one that will help you for the rest of your life. Because sometimes those things come unsolicited, right? Many times criticism, especially destructive, comes unsolicited. You weren't even asking for them to tell you what they thought and they told you anyway. Now that that's, that's a way to judge it, by the way. 
many times. De destructive criticism is unsolicited, right? Most people that give you destructive criticism, you didn't ask for it. They just gave it. But most likely, you will have to seek out constructive criticism. You, because the people who love you don't have a desire to criticize you. Remember this. The people that love you don't have a desire to criticize you. And so many times, even like when I'm asking for that feedback, I'll have to push and push and push. No, seriously. Tell me what you don't like about this. What would you change? What, what would you do differently? I have to push for that feedback because normally the people that love you don't want to criticize you. And so destructive criticism many times is unsolicited, whereas constructive criticism, you almost have to search it out to get that feedback. But then think of this, never take criticism from someone you'd never ask for advice. That's huge. And I've dealt with that a little bit before on the broadcast, but it, it, it bears repeating right now. Don't take criticism from someone you wouldn't ask for advice. If I, don't, if I wouldn't approach you and ask what you think, then I shouldn't listen to you when you come unsolicited and give me criticism about what I'm doing. Don't take criticism from someone from whom you'd never ask advice. That's a huge principle uh, about keeping uh, healthy criticism in front of your face and ignoring unhealthy criticism. So getting back to this blind spot area, number one is pride. People don't think that the lens needs to be turned on themselves because everything's cool with me. It's them that has the problem. How did Jesus say this? Remember how Jesus said it, and it happens everywhere. There are people who are trying to address the speck in someone else's eye, and they're ignoring the log in their own eye. Have you ever noticed that? Jesus dealt with it. He said, you're always trying to deal with the speck, something tiny in somebody else's eye, when in the middle of all this, you've got a log in your own eye or a moat. So what is the point Jesus is making? Before you go criticizing people, turn the lens on you and recognize you ain't perfect. See what I'm saying? So the... the the benefit here is you have to recognize that I'm not in charge of governing other people's races. I have to run my race. And if I'm going to run my race effectively, I've got to lay aside every weight. I've got to lay aside every weight, right? I've got to look at me. I mean, do you think if, let's say, for example, you were in the Olympics and I will go there Lynn, in a moment. But imagine if you were in the Olympics running like the 300 meter or something like that, the 100 meter. Do you think you could win the race by, as you're running, looking and inspecting everybody else's running technique and then trying to make notes? Oh, let me tell you what he's doing wrong here with when he, when he's, as he's running. Do you think you could win the race while also criticizing and inspecting every other runner's running technique? No is the answer. You could not. Because you'd have to slow down what you're doing in order to inspect and criticize what other people are doing. See, this is where the devil trips people up. Be because when you're doing this, 
The devil wants you to stop doing what God's called you to do and start criticizing what God's called other people to do. And that's pride. Pride is constantly criticizing others and never looking at yourself to say, what could change? What could be better? You know, if you, if you miss this, I've done not only a podcast on it, I did a broadcast on it. The five areas of your life that you must master, must master those. Cause if people say, well, where do I turn the lens? How do I turn the lens on myself? What am I supposed to be looking at? I'll tell you what you're supposed to be looking at those five areas. That's why I did a broadcast and I'm sure Tiffany can put up uh, the, either the link to the broadcast on YouTube or uh, the podcast uh, number or whatever. Put the YouTube link up if you can find it, Tiffany, quickly. But I dealt with uh, five areas of your life that you must master. You can't master them if you won't turn the lens in on them and say, you know, what it is you need to master. And we dealt with that. It's your spiritual life, right? It's your mental life. It's your physical life. It's your relational life. It's your financial life. There's five right there that I believe are the five most important areas of life that you must master or they will master you. You have to master the spiritual area of your life, the mental area of your life. You can't live for the rest of your life in depression and anxiety. You can't do that and be successful. You can't. It will destroy you sooner or later if you don't get a handle on it. You can't live insecure and you can't do all that. Your physical life, you know, people dying because they don't take care of their bodies. Your relational life, how's your relationships with your wife and your children and your father and mother, sister and brother, and your financial life. And so if you want to start being introspective, turn the lens on those five areas first, in that order, in that order. Because do you realize if you would, if you would turn uh, the lens on yourself in that order, they almost domino. I don't know if you know this. They domino. It's a domino effect. Let me explain what I mean. If you'll get your spiritual life right first, it'll affect other areas of your life immediately, right? If you'll get your spiritual life right as the foundation, it will start affecting all the other four. It'll affect your mind. It'll affect your body. It'll affect your relationships. It'll affect your finances just by getting the spirit right. Then get your mind right. Once you've got your spirit area right, if you get your mind right, did you know that'll help your physical body? Do you know many people eat themselves into a grave because they can't handle the thoughts that are in their mind? You know why people drink themselves into having liver damage? Because their life's not going the way they, they want it to and the stress and pressure, pressure are weighing on them. And so they drink their troubles away. They drink their troubles away. Bible even says it. It's for people that wine is for people trying to forget their troubles. And so if you get your spirit right, then you get your mind right. Guess what? It'll start affecting your body and your relationships and your finances. If I don't love myself, how can I love my neighbor? That's why loving myself uh, has to come first. Because if I'm unhappy with who I am, I'll always be in a state where I'm not able to love my neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the Bible says. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. What, what you would do for you, do it for someone else. But if I don't love me, then I'm not going to be able to see what I mean. There's the, uh, there's the link on you on uh, Facebook, but if you could put it into YouTube as well, 
Uh, there's the link in the Facebook comments. We're going to put it in the YouTube comments as well. Um, and then you keep moving forward. If I, if my body's right, then look, guess what? Medical bills aren't there, all this extra stuff. And then your finances start being affected and your relationships start being affected. And so you start turning the lens on yourself. And let me, and let me say this. I would start this in December because one of the things, when I gave you the word that the Lord gave for us for 2021, that there's going to be a mighty anointing manifest in our lives that are faithful and that the hand of God's coming upon us in a new way. We're going to run with momentum. We'll run and not grow weary. We'll walk and not faint. We're going to outrun our enemies in 2021. The power of God's coming upon us to run like never before in 2021. If that's going to be the case, I dealt with this earlier. Elijah the prophet did something before he took off running. What did he do? He gathered up his garments. That's an action that he took so that he wouldn't trip up or fall while he was sprinting. And so I asked the question, what can we do in December and November that would be gathering up our garments for 2021? What would it mean for us to gather up our garments and prepare ourselves to run in 2021? Well, here's the answer to that question. This is the answer to that question. And there's the, uh, on all platforms, there's the link to that YouTube broadcast for everybody. Here's what we could do. We would take these five areas of our lives. I mean, if you have to take out your phone notes, take out a pad and a pen. And I mean, write them out. I mean, I want you to do this because introspection, self being self-aware, it will cause you to flourish. If you'll do it, take out a piece of paper, take out a pen, write those five areas down in columns. I mean, I don't care if you want to do an Excel spreadsheet, spiritual area, mental area, physical area, relational area, financial area, write them down. And then here's what I want you to do. I want you in those, in that, in your notes to write the areas that need to be changed immediately. There's my friend, Tim Adams, Deacon Tim Adams, greatest guitar player east of the Mississippi River, and some say in America. Love you, Tim Adams. Um, write those five areas down, and then listen to me. I want you to look at it and be honest. What is What needs to be changed about your spiritual life? Do you read the Bible daily? Are you staying in the Word of God? Do you pray on a daily basis? Are you being faithful to church? You know, those types of things. Look at your spiritual life, your spiritual disciplines, and say, am I doing this? Am I reading the Bible? Am I praying? Am I really being faithful to church? Am I tithing and giving? Because that's a spiritual thing. It's not just under financial. It's under spiritual. Am I tithing and giving? Am I blessing the poor? <clears throat> see what I mean? And then if you're not doing those things, see, write it in that column, okay? Here's what I need to change. Here's what's not good about my spiritual life. I'm not reading the Bible daily. I'm just not. I'm not praying on a daily basis. And I mean seriously praying. I don't mean just like, Father, bless the food. Father, thank you for a wonderful day. I'm going to sleep. I don't mean that. I mean praying. And you write them down. You say, all right, if I'm going to gather up my garments to run in 2021, I need to know what needs to be changed. I need to have a goal to focus on, look at, look how real it gets 
And when you when you start talking about responsibility, the crowd begins to dwindle a little bit. A little bit. We've lost about 20%. You know why? Because this is big boy stuff. This is big girl stuff. This is putting the pants on. This is tying your own shoes. This is not one of those broadcasts, not that I do them anyway, but you know, people get on, I came to prophesy to somebody that this year's going to be a year of the double portion. I don't care what you've done or where you've been. I don't care what you're doing. This is going to be a double portion year for everybody watching me. If you'll sow a $222 seed. See, that's what people want to hear. Because they want to think that no matter what they do, that God's going to somehow slap them with the double portion. But it doesn't work that way. It Favor is never random. Put it in the comments. Favor is never random. Favor is never random. So I commend those of you that are still with us on the broadcast. Because this is big boy, big girl stuff. That this, this is the kind of stuff where you have to be mature to hear it and mature to do it. Because let me tell you something, favor's never random. It's never random. It happens. It's cause and effect. It's always cause and effect. Cause and effect. It's not, favor is not unmerited. It's merited. It's not unmerited. It's merited. It's about what you do. And so you make the columns. You say, okay, I'm going to gather up my garments. I'm going to run. So how do I need to gather up my garments? Well, I'm looking at my spiritual life. All right, I got that dealt with. I need to read my Bible daily. need to pray daily. There's things I'm missing that I need to do. All right, go to my mental area of life. What do I, where am I failing mentally? Am I allowing the things that people say about me to affect me too heavily? Am I too soft in that? Uh, I take things to heart. I wear my emotions on my sleeve. Then I'm an emotional roller coaster. Is that who I am? Am I going to be up one day, down the next? I'm happy. I'm sad. I'm angry. I'm, am, am I? Am I an emotional roller coaster? Where? Um. Yeah, it's true, Mackenzie. She said it's difficult when you're taught that you can have whatever you want without working for it in in some American culture, which is exactly right. But you ask, you ask yourself, is my mental state right? Have I renewed my mind, number one? Is my mind being renewed by the word of God? And then, do I care too much what people think about me? Because that will, let me tell you something, that will affect you in a massive way. You'll not step out and do things that the Lord tells you to do because you're afraid of the criticism of men or women. And that's a problem mentally. Because now I put more value in what people think of me than what God told me to do. Think about that. Because here's where we're compromising in American Christianity is that there's people that won't live it loud, proud, and strong because they're afraid of the pushback from the <clears throat> spirit of this world. And so they want, there's things they won't stand for. They won't stand up for what God stands up for because it's not popular in culture right now. So you're telling me that you care more about what people in culture think about you than what God told you to do in your life. It's a mental problem. It's a mental problem. You have to adjust the way you think. Then go to your physical aspect because your body's the temple of the Holy Ghost. We're getting ready to hit 2021. Are you overweight to the place of making yourself unhealthy? Are you at a place where it's dangerous now for your body? 
Did you know that over 50% of people that are in hospitals, I just heard Dr. Rhonda, um, oh, what's her last name? She was on Joe Rogan's podcast. She's a long life specialist. That's all she focuses on as a doctor is she focuses on long life. And she said, did you know that over 50% of people that are in hospitals are being treated for metabolic issues, metabolic issues. Do you know what that means? It means things that could be solved if they would just change the way they eat and live. High blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes, hypertension, uh, you know, all these different things. Being treated for it in hospitals, it's a metabolic issue. If you would just, you know, walk every day, just let your heart get some exercise. You know, stand up every once in a while. Stop sitting all the time. You know, you say, well, that, that, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Yeah, it sounds pretty spiritual when you die at 58. Then you're like, man, I wish somebody would have talked to me about that stuff. Yeah, because the Bible says your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And so that's an area that you need to address. Is my body, am I going to be able to live long and strong for the Lord and do what he's called me to do? Or am I going to be, because of the way I'm treating the temple of the Holy Spirit, am I going to be wrecked and not be able to do it? See what I mean? So every one of these areas, relationships are next, finances are next. You write them down and then you turn the lens in. Am I in debt? If I'm in debt, why am I in debt? If I've got six credit cards with balances being carried month to month, why? why? Why do I? Why do I feel like I need to spend more than I make? Why am I in debt? Why am I a slave to the lender? You know, you need to ask yourself the question. And then you need to work hard to get out of debt. But the Bible says that it's something that keeps you in a place of servitude. The borrower is a slave to the lender. And God doesn't want you in debt. So you turn the lens in. And then once you identify, see, here's the thing. Pride will keep you from turning the lens in. But I'll tell you another thing that'll keep you from turning the lens in that people battle is um, insecurity. Insecurity. Put it in the comments. Insecurity will blind you. Put it in those comments. Norman in New Brunswick said, I just had five pancakes. I suppose I should go for a walk. <laughs> yes. Although it's probably like 22 degrees in New Brunswick. <clears throat> Insecurity will blind you. Put that in the comments section. This is huge. Insecure people will not turn the light on themselves because they don't want to hear or recognize there's something wrong with them. That's devastating to an insecure person. They, they want to feel like everything's right with me. And they don't want anybody to know. They don't want anybody to think there's something wrong with me. I'm insecure about it. And that's a, an, a, it's a trick and an attack of the enemy to keep you insecure and not bold. Let me show you Hebrews chapter 4 real quick. Notice what keeps people out of the presence of God. Hebrews chapter 4, listen to verse 16. I'm in Hebrews 4, 16. The Bible says, let us then with confidence, with confidence, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find help 
in the time of need. So notice what the scripture is telling us here. There's a way to approach the throne with confidence. Do you know why the devil keeps people from being able to approach God's throne of grace in prayer? Is because the devil will get you to feel like you're unworthy to be in the presence of God and ask him for anything. Well, who do you think you are? Look at all the stuff you've done. Look where you've come from. And you know what that does? When the devil talks to you that way, it puts insecurity into your spirit. Then you know what happens? Is that you won't approach God because you're insecure about your past, about your life, whatever it might be. And the devil's got you living in insecurity and there's not boldness. There's not confidence. Isn't it interesting to you? That when, think of this, this is all you need to know about boldness, confidence versus insecurity. Isn't it interesting to you that when the devil deals with people, it produces insecurity, but when the Holy Ghost deals with people, it produces boldness. Doesn't that blow your mind? Doesn't that open your mind to understand where insecurity comes from? Isn't it interesting that if you listen to the words of the devil over your life, you become insecure. But when you listen to the Holy Ghost and you're filled with his power, what do you become? Bold and confident. Bold. The Holy Ghost produces boldness and confidence. The devil produces insecurity. That should be eye-opening to anybody that's watching this broadcast today. Eye-opening. Huge. Huge, because we won't even approach God properly without the boldness and the confidence. But also, look at this. We won't turn the lens back to ourselves without confidence and boldness. So it's not just pride. Pride is one end of the spectrum. There's nothing wrong with me. Insecurity is the other end of the spectrum. Everything's wrong with me, and I don't want to address it. And I don't want people to see it. You see the difference? Pride is on one end, nothing's wrong with me. Insecurity's on the other end, everything's wrong with me. And they both do the same thing in practice. One says, I don't need to look at myself, I'm perfect. The other says, I don't want to look at myself, I'm so imperfect. Dangerous. But notice, it doesn't matter, you know, people that are insecure could, could be like, you know, pride's wrong. You know, pr- pride is wrong. It's it, it's a sin. But then people on the other side that are pride, like, you know, it's so dumb to be insecure. You know, that's just, you know, don't be insecure about yourself. Be bold. Be confident. But both of them in practice keep the lens from turning on your own life. And so what can you not do? Here's what you cannot do at that point. What Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, commanded the church in Rome to do. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but think with sober judgment. I just want you to put in the comment section those two words, sober judgment, sober judgment. Or yeah, and, and as you're writing that, think about this, a sobering judgment. If you told somebody that, you know, let's say your spiritual leader, hey, pastor's going to meet with you, pastor wants to meet with you, 
And when pastor meets with you coming up this, this uh, Monday night, he's going to pronounce a sobering judgment on you. You'd be sitting around thinking like, what in the world did I do that I'm going to be, you know, soberly judged for? It's going to be a sobering judgment. It's going to snap. Like you'd, you'd start thinking to yourself, like what in the world in my life? I'm getting ready to get a sobering judgment. So notice this. Notice what Paul said. Don't wait to, to have someone else judge you. Judge yourself. Judge yourself. Soberly judge yourself. Turn the be honest. Turn that lens on yourself and judge yourself. And and the Bible says Jesus said this, if we'll judge ourselves, we will not be judged. If we'll judge ourselves, we will not be judged. Now, I want you to stop and think about that because that is a huge phrase. And this is so, I'm so glad you're with me on this today because this is a huge thing to get us ready for 2021. And I'll tell you something, most people won't do this. You will, I will, but most people won't do this. And it's the reason that their increase, their blessing, their, their, their building of their purpose in their life won't happen. If we'll judge ourselves, we won't be judged. Think of it this way. I'll use a very practical example. So you see where I'm going with it. Like I used before, let's use let, let's 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 use the the physical aspect that I talked about. People in in hospitals, right? Over fifty percent being treated for metabolic issues. Okay, why do we wait until something is a crisis to deal with it? Did you ever ask yourself that question? Why do people wait until something is a crisis to deal with it? For example, you know. People that, you know, why do, I always wonder this, like, why do people wait until they've had a stroke or until they've had a heart attack or until they've had, you know, until they're, they're diagnosed with type two diabetes or until, you know, they have hypertension that's so intense or, you know, high blood pressure that's through the roof. Why do people wait until those crises happen before they decide to make a change in their life? Why do you wait until a doctor tells you you have to eat a certain way or else you're going to die? Like, why should we have to wait for that? You know why? Because people didn't judge themselves. So what happens? What happens? If you don't judge yourself, what happens? You'll be judged. So if I look at, and I did look at myself, you know, I did look at myself in this area and then recognized that I was, you know, going crazy on food, you know, looking introspectively at my own life, you know, look back at, at, in September and August of this last year, this year, when I looked at myself during preaching revivals and realized like, man, I, I'm, I'm missing it in this area. I'm even like winded and tired while preaching. I can't even perform the way God wants me to. I can't even uh, minister the way God wants me to Be because of the fact my body is like totally out of shape. I was the heaviest I'd ever been in my life. So what do you got to do? Am I just going to keep going down that path until I become obese to the point it's affecting my health? Or do I turn the lens 
on myself and judge myself and say, you know what? I'm going to make changes before changes make me. God bless you, brother Chris. Love you, man. I'm going to make some changes before changes make me. So what did I do? I took steps, measures, lost 30 some pounds in, in about 60 to 70 days, 30 some pounds in 60 to 70 days. I was, you know, lighter than I've ever been all the way back to the, the beginning of my marriage and like out of uh, Bible school. And what happened? You have to make those changes. I didn't make them because there was something wrong with me. I was judging myself so that I wouldn't be judged later. Judging myself now so that I don't get judged later. So watch, if I'll judge myself, we're still talking about the physical area of eating or diet or whatever. If I judge myself now in that area, then guess what? A stroke is not going to judge me later. And, and don't get this, listen, don't get this twisted. I'm not teaching that like if someone has a stroke, it's God's judgment upon them. I'm not saying that. I'm saying a stroke is a judgment for the way you've lived on your body. Type 2 diabetes is a judgment for how you've lived on your body. Not a, not a judgment of God. I'm just talking about it happened because of choices you made that never got corrected. And so that's the end judgment of those uncorrected choices. But if I will be the judge a stroke will not be my judge. If I'll be the judge, diabetes will not be my judge. If I'll be a judge, hypertension will not be a judge. You see what I mean? If I will judge my finances and not spend more than I make, a Bible, the Bible says a fool spends all that he has. I won't spend all that I make. I won't live beyond my means. I won't do all the things that stupid people do that's caused America to be in destruction financially. If I'll judge my finances, guess what? Bankruptcy won't be my judge. Heavy credit card debt over my head will not be my judge. Student loan debt that I have to work till I'm 50 years old to get out of will not be my judge. If I'll judge myself now, those negative things won't be my judge. You see that? If I'll judge my mental state and renew my mind with the word of God and praise him daily, which causes joy to come into my spirit, because the Bible says he inhabits the praises of his people, and then in his presence is fullness of joy. So if I will renew my mind with the word, if I'll praise God daily and get into the joy of the Lord, He's given us a garment of praise for what? The spirit of heaviness. So if I will cause that spirit of heaviness to lift off of me by reading the word and by praising God daily, guess what? I won't be judged with suicidal thoughts. I'll not be judged by chronic depression. I'll not be judged with anxiety and a spirit of fear. Why? Because I judged myself first. If we'll judge ourselves, we'll not be judged. If we'll judge ourselves, we won't be judged. And that's, that's a huge blessing. I've got the opportunity to soberly, Romans 12, 3, to soberly judge myself. And we have to do it. Anybody that's going to be long-term successful has to do it. I heard one guy say it this way. If you'll show me a person's habits, I'll tell you their future. If you show me a person's habits, I'll tell you their future. And that's exactly what the Bible's teaching us. Don't think highly of yourself. Think with sober judgment. Judge yourself and you won't be judged.
So don't let pride keep you from turning the lens. Don't keep, don't let insecurity keep you from turning the lens on yourself. Turn that lens on you and search. Oh, hallelujah. Man, let, write this in the comments. Diligently search for personal inconsistencies. I'm going to say that again because I know it's a mouthful. Diligently search for personal inconsistencies. I want you to write that because this will change your entire life. It's, it's something that 95% of people refuse to do. They won't do it. They think everything's fine. Everything's good. I don't need to look. Diligently search for personal inconsistencies. It's massive. It's massive. Diligently search for personal inconsistencies. Don't, why would I wait for someone else to call it out about me? I don't want to wait for that. I don't want my pastor to have to have a word and come to me. The Holy Spirit told me that you have been growing cold, that you don't read the word anymore. I don't want to get a word like that from my pastor, a spiritual leader. The Lord says that you've not been praying like you should. The Lord says you've not been reading the word like you should. And your heart is growing cold and you're beginning to, I don't want a word like that. Why would I want to get a word like that? Why would I want to have to have, why would I want to put myself in the position where the Lord has to use someone else to point out my inconsistencies spiritually or any other area? Don't get to that place. Don't get to the place where the Lord has to use someone else. You know, the Lord had to make a donkey speak in the Bible to the prophet. The prophet was so uh, rebellious or not listening to the Lord that the Lord had to give a, a donkey the ability to speak so that the prophet could be corrected. Why would I want someone else to have to point out my, my inconsistency to snap me back on track? Don't be that person. Be the person that says, I am going to point out my own inconsistencies. I'm going to turn the lens on me before anybody else turns the lens on me. I'm going to judge myself and not be judged. You know why? Because in 2021, I'm going to run like you've never seen. You're going to run like nobody's ever seen. You're going to be effective like nobody's ever seen. You're going to make impact like nobody's ever seen. It'll blow the minds of natural men and women to see what God uses you to do in 2021. It's going to be supernatural. And it's not going to be random. We're judging ourselves through December. Judging ourselves. Getting things in order. I mean, I hope that by the time this broadcast is over, you've got the paper out already with the five things written at the top and searching for inconsistencies. Searching for inconsistencies. Searching for inconsistencies. Huh. Knowing I want thing, things to be airtight. Makes me think of, uh, <laughs> I, was, I was watching, remember, remember Jurassic Park? I thought, I thought of this a minute ago because in Jurassic Park, and I can't believe this is the illustration I'm using on the broadcast. In Jurassic Park, they were not aware of how intelligent 
velociraptors were. Do you remember that? They were not aware when they bred velociraptors, they were not aware of how intelligent they were. They didn't know that they were problem-solving animals. Of course, we don't know if that's true at all, but in the movie it was true. And so what did they, what would they, when, when the scientists finally got to the island to check it out, the guy that was like the game warden was talking to Dr. Alan Grant and Alan Grant was asking him about the velociraptors. And he said, you know, it's very interesting, even though we have these electrified fences, he said, when we put the food out and things, he said, the velociraptors will run and they'll hit areas of the fence to test the electricity. And then he said, the interesting thing is that they never hit the same place twice. He tells Dr. Grant that the velociraptors will never hit the same place on the fence twice. He said, they're testing the fences for inconsistencies in the electrical current. They're problem solving. What are they doing? They don't want to be caged in. They want to get out. So what are they doing? They're testing the fences for inconsistencies so that they can find out where the weaknesses are. Why? So they can then exploit the weaknesses. They'll exploit the weaknesses. Remember this phrase? That a chain is only as strong as what? Its weakest link. Its weakest link. So if you could, if you were going to use a chain for something extremely important, like, you know, lowering yourself off a cliff, <laughs> you'd want to know that that chain was <laughs> very strong and had no inconsistencies. So what, what would you do if you found a weak link in that chain? You'd cut it off and recast it and, and put a, a, a one on there to replace it that was perfectly strong. But what did you have to do to do that? You had to locate the weak link. You are only as strong in your life as your weakest area of life. Think about that for a minute. You're only as strong in your spiritual life, in your mental life, in your social life, whatever it is, as the weakest area of your life. So it doesn't matter. Like it does. Let, let me give you an example. I've used this example on, on the broadcast before. If you go back during the voice of healing, brother Jack Coe was a powerful, powerful healing evangelist, powerful healing evangelist, had amazing miracles in his meetings, had tens and tens of thousands of people under his tent at one time, huge ministry, Biggest tent ever made. Miracles like you wouldn't believe. And the man died before he was 40 years old. Stop right there and think about that. Here's a man, obviously had a spiritual life that was on point. God was using him to do amazing miracles, preaching the gospel. People were coming, getting saved from all over the place. People were being edified spiritually, all this stuff. So obviously he had powerful miracle ministry. No question about it. No question about it. I'm sure the finances were flowing in his ministry, allowing him to do more and more and more and more. 
strong financially, strong spiritually. But what happened? Died before he was 40. Why? Because your life is only as strong as the weakest link in your life. You know what his weak link was? Obviously, his physical body. He was morbidly obese. Morbidly obese. Died. Would not judge himself in the area of his eating. And died. Well, it doesn't matter how strong his miracle ministry was. It doesn't matter how many partners he had. It doesn't matter how many people were giving money to his ministry to touch the world. None of that mattered because he still died before he was 40 because he was only as strong as the weakest link of his life. And because he did not judge that area of his life, notice it's one of the ones that falls under the five, spiritual, mental, physical, so, if, you know, physical is not that important. Tell that to Jack Coe, who's in heaven today, when he should have been able to live long like Oral Roberts or any of those other preachers to preach the gospel. Live long like Brother Hagin, 86 years old. Live long like Brother Roberts and keep preaching. Couldn't do it. Why? Only as strong as his weakest link of his life. That's why those five things got to be in front of your face as a Christian. And you got to be constantly updating yourself. Where am I here? Where am I here? Where am I here? Because those are the five areas that will affect you more than any other area of life. If you'll, I mean, one hand, if you'll get five things on point in your life, there's no limit to how high you can fly. There's no limit. And I've noticed this. I've talked to my cousin about it. I've thought about it. I've meditated on it. That the average person refuses to be introspective. They refuse to be self-aware. They won't turn the lens on themselves. And I'm just telling you, that's right. Recalculating it. It's a wake-up call. Because understand this. We have a word to stand on for 2021. We're going to run with momentum. Run and not grow weary. Walk and not faint. We're going to produce like we never have. What we touch will be blessed. Where we go will be blessed. We'll increase. We'll see God's hand upon our lives and families. But it's not random. It won't be an accident. Won't be random. We're gathering up our garments in December. That's right, Christina. She said, if you conquer yourself, you can conquer the world before you. Judge yourself, you'll not be judged. And so what are we doing? We're using December... And I'm going to pray for you in just a moment. We're using December to gather up our garments to get ready to run. And we're going to run. But we're not going to be able to run with weak links. Got to get them out. Identify them. And it's not like it's, not like, it's like this 30, you know, it's not this 30 point personality test. It's five things. It's five areas of life. That's why we put the, I want you to go back. And if you didn't watch that broadcast on uh, the five areas of life that you must master, either listen to it on the podcast or watch it on YouTube because it needs to be something we address immediately. The weak won't do it. Those that are treading water won't do it. Those that are in maintenance mode, which God hates, by the way, won't do it. We will because the victory tribe will keep seeing victory. But the only way to keep seeing victory is to judge ourselves so that we'll not be judged. So that we're in position 
for God to bless us. Notice this. We have to be in position for God to bless our lives. If we're out of position, he can't bless us. It's not that he doesn't want to. He wants to. But we have to be in position for him to bless us. And so I'm going to pray right now two things, specific things over your life. Those that are watching, and maybe you're watching on the replay, maybe you're listening to the podcast. I'm going to pray two things that are so vitally important over your life. Number one, I'm going to pray that any ounce of pride that the devil has tried to use to put into your life to destroy you will be driven out today by the power of God. Driven out of your life. Even pride that you didn't realize was there. God would drive it out. Number two, that any insecurities that would keep you from turning the lens of sober judgment upon yourself would be driven out and that boldness and confidence from the Holy Ghost would come upon you today. Did you know that's a scriptural prayer? Paul, the apostle, asked the church at Ephesus to pray the same thing over him. He said, pray that boldness would be granted unto me. We're going to pray for you today. Every person that's watching, I want you to bow your head unless you can't and receive this prayer of faith by the Holy Ghost. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm praying for every person. We love them, Lord, part of the Victory Tribe. I pray that today that foul spirit of pride that caused Lucifer to be destroyed, that's destroyed so many others in the past, any ounce of it, that tries to touch God's people today, those that are listening, those that are hungry to go further than they've ever been. Lord, drive that pride out of us today in Jesus' name. Empty us of pride. Let us be filled with humility, filled with meekness in Jesus' mighty name, filled with humility, filled with meekness. Drive pride out by the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you give more grace to the humble. Your word declares you resist the proud, but you give more grace to the humble. Give us that grace today in Jesus' wonderful name. Now, Lord, secondly, I pray every person that's battling insecurity, a form of fear, drive it out today by the Spirit of God. I pray boldness would come upon them, confidence from the Holy Spirit would come upon them today so that we have no issue soberly judging ourselves in Jesus' name. Let us soberly judge ourselves and we'll not be judged. And then, Lord, finally, I pray that in this new year of 2021, you would open up the windows of heaven, open doors that no man can shut, shut doors that no man can open, no demon can open, no devil can access. And let us run, make the crooked places straight. Let us run with divine momentum like we never have in 2021 in Jesus' mighty name. And we call it done. And if you receive that and believe it, knowing we're headed for the best year we've ever had, throw some fire in the comment section and shout a loud amen. Even if you're at work, shout it in your job and let scare the heck out of the guy in the cubicle next to you. And give God the glory for what's about to happen. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's going to be the greatest that we've ever seen. Not randomly. We're stepping out by faith and obeying the word of God. Soberly judging. Soberly judging. Amen.
Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.